Hello. Welcome to Happy Tears! I'm Brandon. And I am Nick, and this is Happy Tears, a podcast where two sensitive boys talk about the art that they love so much so that it often moves them to tears. Brandon's doing these hand motions right now that are pristine. (laughs) I wish you could see it. Uh, Today on the podcast, we are talking about Honey Boy and Honey Land. Two movies. One's narrative. One's a feature documentary. Honey Boy is a movie written by Shia LaBeouf based on his own life growing up as a young actor and his relationship with his father and directed by Alma Harrell. And Honey Land is a Macedonian documentary feature about beekeeping and a way of life that is perhaps disappearing. Definitely not common. No, sir. Not not around these parts, at least. And it's a beautiful look at uh, a slice of life that is not anything like mine or yours, I would imagine. So uh, it was fascinating. So we're going to have a fascinating day on the podcast about honey and all of its connotations. (laughs) And this is Happy Tears. So we usually start every episode of Happy Tears uh, talking about our recommendations of things we're watching and listening to throughout the week. But first, I would like to do 60 seconds, and I'm going to time it. Ooh, love that. Of Oscars recap, talking about our predictions from our Oscars episode. Let's go. And the night in general. So 60 seconds on the Oscars starts now. So first, uh, it was awesome that Parasite won everything. It was even doubly awesome that we had faith. Had faith. Predicted it. Predicted it. Best picture. Although we didn't predict that they were going to win all the Oscars. Right. Uh, The most surprising, I think, was the best original screenplay. Yeah. That was awesome. Also surprising. Best adapted screenplay, Taika Waititi. Also surprising, Eminem. Eminem performing Lose Yourself, (laughs) a song that's like, what, 16 years old or something now? Uh, Out of nowhere, just as a tribute to music in the movies. Um, weird. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, we did not care for the selection of best, uh, narrative short film. No, there were a lot of better ones. Yes. Uh, there's an episode of love and radio called the neighbor, uh, the living room. And this was the best quote of the night. Thank you. I I will drink until next morning. Thank you. And time. (laughs) We got the quote in. I'm glad you remember the quote. I forgot about it, but we had it queued up anyway. Yep. Anyways, we'll we'll put the uh, the neighbor's window. Put a link to the to the podcast. Yeah, I think it's called. Sorry, the living room is the the uh, podcast. Okay, and uh, we should put that in the in the show notes. Yeah, because it's way better than the short film. Yep. And we saw those, and we wanted something else. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, and well, we're going over sixty seconds, but whatever. (laughs) Uh, In our predictions, you got sixteen out of twenty-four. I got Mm. fourteen, so you won the prediction. Yep. Well. There's always 66.6% Nick. Yeah, it's a good percentage. That's a high rate of success in a lot of fields. In a lot of fields. Like a baseball field? Like a baseball field. All right. Oscars. Nailed it. Moving on to our recommendations, weekly recommendations. Brandon, what you been watching and listening to and doing and playing and, and seeing? I just got one song here, Nick. Hit me. Called Cut Me by Moses Sumney. It is a kind of surprising tune. It Almost reminds me of if you took a little bit of the Temptations and paired it with Dirty Projectors. You meet somewhere in the middle with this uh, 
song called Cut Me by Moses Sumney, which is pretty awesome. super into that uh, Your horns are back you say <laughs> horns are back coming back baby bringing those horns back i've always said you've always the, said it where'd the horns go <laughs> where they at we should bring those back <laughs> i'm on record you are uh so he has a an album that i think he's releasing in two parts the first being released at the end of this month called gray and uh yeah stoked for that excellent throw that song on our playlist you know i will how about you nick uh, you know, I don't have any specific recommendations. Oh I have something I recommend against seeing. <laughs> <laughs> Please. And I know we don't normally do this, but it's funny. So I went and saw Sonic the Hedgehog yesterday. <laughs> Why'd you do that? I'll tell you, I have four very specific reasons why All I right. did that. Number one. Because I knew it was going to be terrible, but four reasons. Mm-hmm. Number one, lifelong fan of that character and those video games. Number two. Lifelong Jim Carrey fan. Number three, I am a fan of Ben Schwartz, who voices Sonic. And number four, and probably the most significant, is they came out with a trailer last year for this movie, and the animation and character design was god-awful, and the fans said, this sucks. It was garbage. The fans said, this sucks, and they said, you know what, fans? We hear you. You're right. What were we thinking? So they spent what I can only imagine is millions of dollars to completely reanimate an entire movie, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, I respect that they listened to the fans and cared what they think. And so for that, they earned my $10 or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so I went and saw it. It was really bad. I don't need to get, like, there's, he spends a lot of time, like, unconscious and, like, he's in a duffel bag. He rides shotgun in, like, a pickup truck. Mm-hmm. He runs fast, some, you know, at times, too. Occasionally. But, yeah, it's just like, who played those video games and said he should do all these other things? He should spend the night in a motel. He literally sleeps overnight in a motel in the middle of... It's like, who wrote this? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I could look it up, but I won't. Anyway. Great recommendation. Thank you. But I did have some happy tears this week that I can talk about. about. And it's... it's, I would say it borders on recommendation territory. Um, I watched a movie that came out last year. You know, we're about to do our 2019 movie episode best of 2019 movies and so i'm trying to catch up with the very few left that are on my list and i watched a movie the other day called waves oh yeah waves is a movie directed by trey edward schultz Mm -hmm. who did it it comes at night oh yeah and um you know it's it's uh i guess teen drama is a way to say it. it honestly the i was a little disappointed that the trailer is a little misleading for what the movie's about i mean you know that something goes down but you don't really it just i it was not the movie i expected yeah but there there were several emotional moments and it did connect with me on several levels a lot of family drama and a lot of racial 
themes mm-hmm. in this one. And uh, there's there's a particular moment where um, it is kind of interesting. The movie switches perspectives basically halfway through. So the first like half of the movie is is the brother of this family, and then the whole second half of the movie is the sister's point of view. Oh. It was not what I was expecting. And it also changes aspect ratio a bunch. So there's times where it's like a super widescreen and then there are times where it's like uh like like boxy kind of like uh the lighthouse right um and then there are other times it's full-on full screen i'd have to go back and watch it again to feel out why they did it in certain scenes but i know like there's a point where a, a certain character feels trapped and that's when it goes into that boxy yeah uh, uh aspect ratio so that, so it just feels a little claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that was just in, I've never seen a movie do that. I'm sure it's been done before. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, yeah, so I had um, some happy tears after, there's, there's somewhat of a tragedy in the middle of the movie. And long after we finally like have a character open up about her feelings about what happened. And it's very moving and it's very good acting by uh, the female lead of the movie played by, I'm going to tell you who played, um, Taylor Russell, very good actress. Mm-hmm. From this one performance that I've seen. So yeah, happy tears at Wave. Do you have any happy tears this week? Um, I did have some happy tears this week. Tell me. So for a big part of my life, I have been into dance videos on YouTube. I love it. Tell me everything about it. So there's a choreographer named Galen Hooks who recently uh, published a video on YouTube of her choreography to the song Best Part by Daniel Caesar. Featuring her. Featuring her. Love that song. Fantastic song. Uh, so yeah, it's a really kind of fun, natural movement dance, uh, partner dance of just these couples and all different kinds of couples with all different kind of like movement styles and um, interactions. Because a lot of it, or some of it's a little like affectionate improv and it's, I don't know, it's really nice. And there's several different couples that uh, dance to the piece, but just a really cool couple dance that just got me. And because of the song as well, but... Affectionate improv sounds like an exercise you could do in therapy. Right. Like in the movie Honey Boy. Like in the movie Honey Boy. <laughs> well, that's great. The um, I love that you like dance and choreography videos. Yes. I don't know. I just think... You should check it out. I, I would love to check it out. Send me a link. You, you might have happy tears as you well. You think so? Pretty great. I love things are great, and I love to cry at things that are great. Oh, I've got a video for you, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> well... Let's do some uh, improv therapy and uh, talk about Honey Boy. I see you. Contrary real hard. Be a 12-year-old. Pie fight. It's not a pie fight. Think it through. What's your mother got a job for? Just in case. In case what? I don't know. In case you fail. In case it don't work out. Yes, man. She's filling your head full of fear. I pump you full of strength. Because we're on a team, and I know you got what it takes. You're a star, and I know it. That's why I'm here. I'm your cheerleader, honey boy. I don't need to talk about my dad. Good take, good take. You did it, you did it. Good job, everybody. My dad's not the reason I drink. He's the reason I work. I'm getting Come, Come here. Come here. Child Light So, Honey Boy, written by Shia LaBeouf and directed by Alma Harrell, is, according to IMDb, a young actor's stormy childhood and early adulthood years as he struggles to reconcile with his father and deal with his mental health. 
So yeah, this is a movie written by Shia LaBeouf. It was actually, he started writing this in rehab after he was sentenced to court-ordered rehab. Right. And was working with his therapist. And this was uh, essentially doctor-prescribed screenplay. Right. You know, Which like crazy. They, they really encouraged uh, him to explore his feelings his past because uh, he was diagnosed with PTSD. The movie itself is kind of a, uh, a depiction of both those moments of him in therapy at rehab, but also really exploring his childhood through this character named Otis, right? who is essentially a, a Shia LaBeouf's stand-in. We follow Otis at age 12 and age 22. The film kind of cuts back and forth between these two time periods in his life and his relationship to his father. Yeah, so Noah Jupe plays young Otis, and Lucas Hedges plays 22-year-old Otis, and... Shia LaBeouf plays James Lort, who is Otis's mm-hmm. father in the film and a representation of Shia's father in real life. F.K. Twiggs is also in this. Oh, yeah, and she's great. Byron Bowers is in this as well. She is great. Initial thoughts on this thing? You watched it just this morning, so it's very fresh for you. It is very fresh. Still trying to kind of figure out how I feel about it. But overall, I thought a really impactful and original film, um, especially I know we talk about how it's kind of depicts a lot of events that happened in Shia's childhood and uh and later on in life as well but i just haven't seen a a film that is this sort of exercise and really like empathy and then reconciliation forgiveness for for a a person writing the film i think is really wild and and interesting to watch for sure one you realize early on that shia is going to be playing his father which has got to be a crazy thing to do as well right you know because his father's an alcoholic and a felon and treats him pretty terribly in the film and so he's going through all these circumstances that at least I assume most of them were things that he had experienced in real life but also there's another meta quality to the film in which he is in rehab in the film you know or Otis is in rehab in the film just like uh, and it plays out like the way that this film was inspired is also played out in the film which is crazy right yeah Yeah. so Uh, I totally agree I think describing this as kind of an act of empathy, uh, both in, in what it takes to write out these scenes of your young life and, and your, you know, when he was writing this, his current life, but also to have to play his father, you know, acting is all about putting yourselves in the shoes of whatever person you're trying to inhabit. So just, just, it must've been the thing that, that was just so palpably clear to me was just how painful a a lot of Shia's life must have been for sure, but just to exercise these feelings and, and work through them, like this process must have been just so painful to both write this and then on set playing it and actually inhabiting, yeah. you know, and treating his young self, you know, the way that he was treated. It just, it's, it's like you said, very meta. And it's yeah. a brave move that I I never feel like seems like goes into the self and indulgent, like things seem natural. It's not like he's uh, praising himself for getting over something or it, it all just feels like sincere, I guess. Yeah. I really love the way this movie opens. Uh, the first shot, I think, is it uh, kind of fades up on Lucas Hedges playing 22-year-old Otis. Mm-hmm. And he's on the, the set of a big action movie. It looks just like a Transformers type thing, right? It's that shot that if, you see, if you've seen the trailer to this movie, it's like, you know, he throws his arms up. No, 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 and gets blasted back. It's an explosion thing. It's a Michael Bay thing, yeah, right? For sure. But then after the big explosion, we just watch as he kind of hangs there from his like harness and wire, mm-hmm. you know, 
and and they slowly kind of pull him, bring him down, and then once his feet are on the ground, walk him forward back to his mark. The camera never moves; it's static the whole time, and he just kind of stands there and gets ready to go again, like this. So he's just getting blasted around on movie, yeah. movie sets, and it's just so indicative of some of the emotional foreshadowing that's going on. You know, the, the way that he's being kind of puppeted through his childhood, you yeah. know, as both a, a young actor and and the main breadwinner for his family, right? Yeah. I mean, and I think that um, we haven't really talked about the the uh, structure of the film, but it, initially it was supposed to be kind of a little bit more of a linear story, and right, and the uh, and Alma ended up kind of chopping it up and. And we're dealing with like two separate time or two different timelines between older Otis and younger Otis. And I think she does that in a really effective way that never seems like disjointed or anything. The decision to start out with that particular scene, I think, was really smart. Totally. I thought it was a nice bit of writing to kind of show the earlier version of that, too. When when young Otis on the set of like an even Stevens or, you know, whatever, whatever child actor job he had that week was like hitting the face with a pie and then flung backwards also with the same kind of, you know, technology, movie making technology. And uh, another thing I, I really loved is I think all the acting in this movie is just stunning. Both of the people that play Otis, Noah Jupe, who I think is like 12 when he, when he was playing a 12 year old Shia, I think he's like pretty age accurate and is just really great um and i think that lucas hedges is like it doesn't quite feel like an impression although it's it i don't he's he's walking a fine line of doing an impression of shia labeouf but also like inhabiting a emotionally true character right he really does a great job alma in an interview was saying they they sat through and watched interviews from shia over the years and watched how his like voice and mannerisms changed over time right and that informed how they played the characters a little bit. I just think both actors that played Otis did a great job. And Shy is great, too. And everyone's great. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. I think, yeah, I just it, it's hard not to think of, during the film about the exercise that Shia is doing by playing his, his father in this movie. So that's just a, just a really interesting angle from the get-go. But yeah, I, another thing, I thought it had like really like naturalistic dialogue. Like nothing seemed forced, even though his... His dad is this like eccentric character, right? Like he's a right. Vietnam War vet. He has this daredevil chicken <laughs> and is a clown uh, for hire for the stage and for the circus as well. And just some of the some of the idioms and stuff that he and like just his way of talking and stuff to his son is uh, it just all felt very natural to me. Yeah. And uh, it seemed like it was obviously came from a personal place, but watching certain scenes like when they're juggling together yeah. in their motel room where they live is just kind of an interesting insight into the kind of show business life that they live. Right. You know, like Otis can never really escape it. You hear about like uh, showbiz moms and stuff. Oh, yeah. Like it's a, a version of that that uh, is sad. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of his, his father is this kind of pathetic character that wants you know, who's an alcoholic who wants the son to succeed, but also has some selfish, he, he's failed as a father. And, you know, some of that success is, is selfish on his part. And then obviously he has terrible ways of trying to pull the best out of his son as well. But also some that, you know, are a little bit more like a coach and not, not terrible. It's just like, it just seemed all, all natural to me, I guess. Yeah. I mean, and that's another thing that kind of struck me was how, when we talk about empathy and, and you're right that it, 
in watching this, it's hard not to just be thinking about, wow, I can't believe he wrote this about his family and like was able to go through this. Right. Like, like you just, there's, I don't think there's any way unless you watch it without knowing any of that information, but like, there's no way to really disconnect from that. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways it makes the movie better. Yeah. Um, but the, um, the way that it, I appreciated that it didn't make his father out to just be this villain. Like there are, uh, there, there are moments of warmth and sweetness, yeah, and sweetness that, you, that that are definitely sandwiched between <laughs> him being a dick, or right. him, and you can kind of understand the way the movie views this character. You know, he he's definitely an alcoholic and a felon, but also it seems like he feels a little bit of embarrassment about the way his life has gone, and and that his twelve year old son is his boss in a weird way, and yeah. they, they even have a argument about that exact thing in the middle of the movie and if i were diagnosed with ptsd and the for lack of a better term abuser if i had to to write something about them i i only hope i could do so with such empathy like it's really not only is the exercise an act of empathy it's like the amount that i think that he is displaying in the way he wrote this is really admirable and yeah and stunning yeah and the exercise at least from what i've gathered in his interviews seems like it was a it was freeing for him to to go through that and kind of like I mean even saved his life in a way yeah. right or um and he reconnected like he hadn't talked to his father in like seven years and uh, kind of reconnected with him through this process and had to get his approval for uh, the portrayal and everything so I don't know it's really interesting and the way he talks about him is still not in a uh, you know he's not trashing his dad he's saying this is what happened and this is how he was and still had to figure out a way to like love him in a way. So it's just, it's, yeah, really, you could tell there's a lot of care that, and, and obviously for personal reasons, but like he didn't direct the film. So the, he worked with Alma on this and it seemed like there was a collaborative effort to uh, really kind of carefully navigate this. Yeah. All in these situations and stuff. Um, other thoughts, feelings, emotions, points? Just on the technical side, like and there's some pretty cool lighting things going on. Um, I liked a lot of the kind of like in, intimate hotel scenes and things like that. And I know... Did you listen to the the Directors Guild interview with with Alma? Yes, I did. Cool. She talks about in in that how the cinematographer who has also worked on Neon Demon and The Rover was doing these kind of like on the go uh, lighting techniques where they would she would be controlling things like in the moment, which I thought was was pretty cool, and I think it was effective for some of those like more intimate like hotel scenes and stuff like that between between Otis and his father. Yeah, um, in an interview with Shia, he was saying that they didn't really rehearse or block anything. They had free reign to move throughout that motel room as they felt in the moment. Yeah. And so it was this kind of crazy dance between two actors in a scene, but also the the camera operator who's got to be in there and, you know, follow this person or that person or, you know, capture the scene, as well as, like you said, the DP has to make sure that, you know, if they go into the bathroom, he's going to bring up the lines in the math, you know, like, right. and so from a, like you said, yeah, a technical perspective, uh, a lot of that is, is really fascinating the way they achieved it. Right. There's uh, some scenes that I just thought were effective, like specifically some of the motorcycle scenes, um, some of the camera work during those and just kind of the feeling I got during those was, and then it's interesting relating these two. I know we, we talked, this is the honey episode, but it's interesting that this almost board, like it's clearly a, a narrative film, but this is, Alma's first her directional debut uh, as a an in narrative film. She's done documentaries before, correct? But this has 
because of the nature of this being so autobiographical, it almost has a documentary type elements to it. So there's a kind of blending there that we feel like we also see in Honeyland, which we'll talk about in a little bit, that it kind of blends this like narrative storytelling in with this documentary feature. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I thought that's a, a really cool element that kind of connects these two films in a weird way, but yeah, that we were not expecting. <laughs> right. Uh, surprise. It definitely surprised me on that. Um, and then I just thought that it was cool. Some of the process that we learn about in some like natural changes within the script and within the characters based on like what they felt, you know, what even uh, some of the actors felt like worked best. Like uh, Alma was not afraid to change some things from and kind of, uh, you know, mold some things in in certain way that felt like the most natural to what Shia's uh, vision as a writer was, but also like if like a character felt off or something and they, they didn't feel like this was the right move, then they'd make an adjustment. So. Yeah. The interviews that I've seen from the cast, they, they all say that uh, Shia really wrote this and was there as a resource and to be helpful. But a lot of it was once he wrote it, he kind of handed it to Alma and said, you know, make a movie. Like I'm, I'm right. not, I'm not going to control the process. Um, and, and I think it was just a supportive effort, supportive and collaborative effort all around. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it's great. I think the acting was, was really great. I think Lucas Hedges is one of the best young actors we have right now. Yeah, he's and, great. and, you know, just, he's been in so many movies that I've come to love in the last couple of years. Uh, Manchester by the Sea, Lady Bird. He was in that movie Waves I talked about earlier. Yeah. Uh, does a really good job um, in that movie. And he's acted against, or, or like across from a ton of people. And in an interview from Shia, he was saying that that kid prepares more than any actor he's ever met. Like asking Shia like billions <laughs> of questions. And like, yeah. he would just like show up at his house and like yeah. Shia would wake up and he's in the kitchen, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> Uh, to the to the point where Shia moved out and moved into a motel, and at one point, Lucas and Noah, the two actors that were playing Otis at different ages, were living in Shia's house, and Shia was living in a motel. So that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think Lucas Hedges is is really one of the the great actors. And honestly, when we do our discussion of actors of of the decade, he's gonna be someone I bring up along with the Adam Drivers of the world. So. <laughs> Yes. So did you have happy Yeah, I think there was um, several sections, uh, some more than than others, but there's a particular end scene at the end when he kind of older Otis has an interaction with his father in his full like clown get up and then it goes into this motorcycle scene of them that shows a different perspective from the earlier motorcycle scenes that I thought was really smart and um, yeah, emotional for sure. Yeah, I, I never reached a point of, of actual happy tears crying in any way, but I, I do agree that that scene was emotional and there were a couple really great performative moments from both Noah and Lucas that uh, were emotional. I, I was enga emotionally engaged throughout the whole movie, although I never really reached a happy tears yeah, moment. That was the, the closest thing and there's two others that I was, you know, on the way to creep in. Uh, one more was... When Otis was talking about that the only like valuable thing that his father gave to him was this pain. That yeah. He, and uh, thinking about, because I've heard Shia talk about that, but I think that was really well placed in the film. And then also there's a, a scene where they're in, this, they're in the motel and Otis is taking this call from his mother. This is young Otis at the time. Ugh. And he has to communicate 
with his father. I don't want to explain the scene too much because I don't want to kill the kind of magic of the scene or whatever, but he's kind of just playing the middleman between his father and his right. mom. And there's this performative element to it that I think is kind of like what I love seeing film for. Like, I think it's, you know, the magic of film or whatever, this like lyrical or poetic quality to what is actually happening that I don't know would necessarily happen in real life. Like, I'm not sure if the way that played out, but the, the performative nature of it seemed natural and really effective. So I, I really liked it. Yeah, I did too. We haven't talked a ton about Noah Jupe's performance, but I just think he showed a lot of mature, like maturity from a, cause he has to play this kind of like growing up too fast kid, but have the nuance of still having these kid elements, but also like also taking, I mean, being his father's boss. Like I just think he plays that di- dynamic uh, really well. And there's like a maturity that his character needs, but there's also this kid quality that his character needs. Uh, I think he balanced that well. Yeah, I mean, there's a scene specifically where Noah straight up just tells his dad, like, you know, I'm doing you a favor by keeping you around. Anyone could be my guardian, you mm-hmm. know, and, and the way they have it out through that is, is like you said, the, the emotional maturity and uh, the way he encapsulates that type of character that's growing up too fast is great. Yeah. Honey Boy is available to stream on Amazon Prime streaming services. Mm-hmm. And we both recommend you check it out. On to Honeyland. Let's let's go to Honeyland. This is a film uh, by two documentary filmmakers, and it is from North Macedonia. And actually, we had just had our Oscars talk. This was the first film to be nominated in the Best International Film category and Best Documentary category. And in the first in a while, I think, in the international one to be a film from Macedonia. But some interesting things about this, it took them like three years to film this, which is crazy in a a long time and the filmmakers didn't speak Turkish so they were just filming for months without knowing what what the people on you know these characters are saying um, and didn't have a translator with them so it's really crazy to hear or, or I just read about it but read about the creative process of this because they filmed a bunch of stuff and kind of this narrative formed over time. Right. Which is really crazy because it wasn't even going to be about this main character who is this female beekeeper one of, or if not the last, like, female beekeeper in Eastern Europe, or, like, that does it in this traditional way. Yeah, so I'll interject now with the IMDb description Perfect. that reads, The last female bee hunter in Europe must save the bees and return the natural balance in Honeyland when a family of nomadic beekeepers invade her land and threaten her livelihood. This film, which is filmed in Macedonia, is an exploration of an observational indigenous visual narrative that deeply impacts our behavior towards natural resources and the human condition. Way more descriptive than the Honey Boy one. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and a little, uh, a little biased. Not biased, but you know, like it's, it's got a little, there's a little bit of a review in that, uh, in Absolutely. that basic description of the plot. For sure. Um, yeah, so the film opens up with, uh, we kind of, Actually, some like really stunning shots of like these this mountainous range in in Macedonia and and some like really thrilling scenes where you're following this beekeeper like up the mountain and and then you can see how far 
far down in like these little narrow passes that she's going through as like a person in her mid 60s and she just has a lot of agility for you know what she does and and she goes back down to the village and takes care of her half blind mom and yeah this this character she's a she's a caretaker uh she's kind of one of the last of her kind doing these practices that have been done for generations and and just a really kind of caring patient person and and everything seems to I mean, these are rough conditions. Like she's living without electricity and all of these things. There's yeah. no way they're not glorifying this way of life. But to her, it seems she's at peace with it. And there's a, a group of uh, a lot of like a big family comes in and kind of changes that the vibe of the, the place. Right? right. These neighbors move in. They have like, I think it's four kids, maybe five. Yeah. And uh, so first and foremost, the cinematography of this thing is incredible starting right from the beginning like you said the those kind of opening shots establishing the world that we're going to be inhabiting for the next 90 minutes but throughout this whole thing it's just so artfully captured yeah these intimate moments with her and her mother when she like like you said she's the caretaker i mean like candlelight (laughs) right but even like intimate moments with these children of this neighboring family it's just like how did they convince these people to just let them like inhabit their life and how did how are these kids not just like looking at this camera every five seconds right no no one looks in the camera one time yeah i think like it's true like you truly feel like a fly on the wall yeah and that's why i talked a little bit about this and and honey boy but there is this kind of like uh narrative quality to this and the way that it shapes out that i was not expecting at all going into this that was just really this i don't know just a really cool combination because there's no narration in the in the documentary like you're not getting information thrown at you like you like on a lot of documentaries that you watch and it's not super fast paced but you're just inhabiting this space and seeing these interactions between characters and so we talked about the this beekeeper and her aging mother and then this new family that comes in with high hopes of learning some new uh ways to to make money and doing things really carelessly and they're loud and right just kind of shake the lifestyle of the beekeeper but she's she kind of keeps her cool and this caretaking nature the whole time and it's pretty incredible to watch yeah and it's worth noting that this i mean this family specifically the, the father right the patriarch of this right this family that moves in has good intentions like he he wants to provide for his family i think he i think they're struggling to you know get by in the world my first piece of advice would be stop having children <laughs> Well, he, but that's fine. It's a cultural thing, I'm sure. (laughs) And people are going to have kids. It's sorry. What's crazy is, yeah, while he seems to have the best intentions, he just keeps making the wrong moves. And to be honest, I'm bringing in two films that we've reviewed because they they both came to mind. One is Uncut Gems because it seems like this guy is making all the wrong moves. And when they come in, it feels, this film feels like Uncut Gems. It's like so anxiety inducing with, it's like this beautiful, peaceful na- landscape that just gets uh, bombarded with this raucous family that's like has mm. engines roaring and cattle. And it's right. like all of these noises are being thrown Children at you. screaming. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. And roughhousing and all of the, like the peace Splashing has been broken. in the river, all that stuff. Yeah. And so like that part felt like uncut gems. And then there's a parasite element to this as well. <laughs> <laughs> Hit me. Where they kind of come, they come in and start, um, you know, taking these techniques from the the beekeeper and kind of exploiting the area and her work in a in a 
way that's less funny than than parasite but um <laughs> but they kind of act as as parasites to the land and her and i think what's really we've kind of talked about a lot of this on the service level but i think what's amazing about this film is that the story that it tells is happens so naturally and they just capture it over this three-year period but it's a perfect representation of just like how someone is being respectful and sustainable and a good human being and then this other force coming in and tearing that apart and being exploitative and not caring about the land or animals and uh yeah it's just like we see the how this sustainability can operate and then we see intruders come in and and the even more remarkable thing is that she never she always does what she can to help them because they are also just trying to get by right and and that's also worth noting is she the relationship with her neighbors is not entirely antagonistic all, all the way through i mean she when they first move in she like helps them learn how to keep bees right and even throughout as the main conflict between her and the father of the other family. Like mm-hmm. there are several kids in the family that she like has a tight relationship with. And yeah. Like, and she has come no, to her. she has no kids of her own, just kind of animals and her mother that she takes care of. And, and they act as, you know, she acts as, uh, this parental figure to them and right. is teaching them techniques. And even when they're like little shits, <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy. She has this kind of patience for them and for her craft and for her way of life. Um, yeah, it's it's a movie that I wasn't expect. I thought I was going to focus on like the practice of of beekeeping and the importance of bees, or I, I just didn't know what it was. And it was it turned out to be totally something different. But there's kind of this magical quality that it has. Yeah. It's hard to really explain, but the way that the the narrative kind of plays out is, and there's some personal moments um, with like the situation with her mom. I guess traditionally, I don't remember the exact the exact tradition, but I th- it's someone that's like last in the family to to leave or to get married or something ends up with the responsibility of taking care of the the parents or the family with, and not have kids. Oh, really? Um, and so she is, you know, she has taken on that responsibility, has no kids of her own, and is just kind of uh, doing this practice. And she's very, I don't know, she has this mentality in, um, of like this whole 50-50 where the sustainability thing comes in where you take 50% but also leave 50% and everything seems to be harmonious there. She even like says it out loud kind of like a mantra when she's taking the honey from the bees. It's like half for you, half for me. Yeah. And it is uh, noble to say the least. Yeah. And then it, uh, I don't know, the family doesn't take up those. It comes in, doesn't necessarily abide by those rules. Well, and I also appreciate the role of, there's another uh, character it's weird calling him a character because it's a real life it's right. documentary. But there's this other person mm-hmm. um, involved, and that's the guy that uh, I I assume is the guy that convinced the other guy with the family to like start this mm-hmm. honey beekeeping business. And, right, and uh, he's the guy that is like he's the salesman, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, he's got some contacts. It's like, oh yeah, if you make if you produce X amount, we'll give you X amount. And he's the one that's constantly coming back to this this man and say, with his family and saying, hey, you got to make more. Hey, you got to make more. What if you did this? Let's like, he's kind of acting as this, he's like this, this stand in for like kind of capitalism. Right. In general. Yeah. This, this whole, yeah. Just greed. The really, system. And, yeah. But the fact that all of that happened naturally without someone writing this is yeah. crazy to me. Like it just, it just perfectly worked out and they crafted a, a film um, from that. So I think it's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. And the way that, because you do feel for the family 
in a lot of ways, right? I mean, the yeah. guy is under a ton of pressure to provide for his family, to make things work. People on some, you know, there are people elsewhere that are asking him to produce. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there are elements of what it means to be a uh, a caretaker or, mm-hmm. or a father or a provide. I guess provider is right. the word. Like Honey Boy, that is very much an act of empathy. There's a lot of empathy in this movie for m- most parties involved. But yeah, it was funny when we were watching it. Uh, I was watching this with with Gina, and she was like. She noted that this is like the story of the Lorax. Have you seen that? Interesting. Yeah, it's been a long <laughs> time, but yeah. Yeah, where the um, you know, character comes in and starts like exploiting their uh, natural resources and, and using them for, I think, like scarves. And uh, there, yeah, there's definitely a, a parallel there, I think. But yeah, another thing, nice. an, another way that, I mean, you obviously have empathy is like there's some very little kids who are in tough circumstances and tough living circumstances. And there's a little girl that, just seems to not really do anything wrong and just get bombarded by her brothers. <laughs> There's lots of just little moments in this, right, that show both humanity and nature in a nice way. We, you watch a calf being birthed, right? Like, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, in kind of an aggressive way from I know. this little kid. God. Um, and so I think everything I've read, the, the main takeaways from a lot of people is this reflection on humans' nature, I'm sorry, humans' relationship with nature, right? And so it is a delicate balance to live the way we want, I guess, but also be treating nature with respect and, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, coexisting. For sure. Our main subject, the beekeeper, her name is spelled H-A-T-I-D-Z-E, which I think maybe like Adich will go with that. Yeah. I mean, I watched it a week ago, so I've already forgotten, but uh, yeah. And they don't really say her name too much. Yeah. It was towards the end of the movie that I, or maybe not the end, but it it was a while before I was like, wait, what's her name? Oh, there they, somebody just said, yeah. Yeah. But, um, and also worth noting the filmmakers who made this Tamara Kudevska and Jubamir Stefanov. Yep. If that L is silent, it's Jubamir. Well, it could be Lubomir, right? L-J-U-B-O-M-I-R. Lubomir Stefanov. Really captivating cinematography. The story really gets you. I mean, it starts really slowly. For me, it took me a while. Visually beautiful. Um, and then once it gets going, it, it, you really get sucked up in it. I, um, you, I spent the first 30 minutes saying, all right, I hope it's, you know, is it going to be like this the whole time? And then by the end, it's like, oh, wow, it's... It like came and went, so it like started slow and then and then yeah. really ramped up. <laughs> no, I think it's a fascinating story, uh, and the way that it was told, I think, was pretty incredible. And yeah, I think the beginning is supposed to feel that kind of way. It's supposed to be the the calm before the storm and the kind of like everyday nature of what what her life is like. Right. Right. It's trying to get you into that pace of her her life. So yeah, well said. I grant you that point. I guess another thing about it was that was cool is I've been to Macedonia and uh, spent like a week there or so and was in Skopje, the city that she goes to to sell her honey in the film. And so it was cool getting kind of like knowing my the landscape and the bearings or getting my bearings a little bit. I don't know. That part, I think, was a a cool personal touch for me that um, although I had really no uh, knowledge of this beekeeping tradition and like the way that the way that it's practiced, but that part was, I think, kind of cool for me. And yeah, did you have happy tears? I 
I don't know if they were like full on happy tears, but again, like the last film, there's a couple uh, emotional punches that I think were, if they weren't creeping, they were close calls, as we say. Yes. Um, there's a moment at the end after kind of all this chaos has ensued where she's just with her dog. Mm. And I think it's really nice. And there's some emotional bits with, uh, with her mother and then with some of the other kids that's just like, I don't understand how she has the patience or this kind of caregiving quality that just thinking about that um, was kind of an emotional thing after what they've done to her and the land and stuff. So, yeah, I agree. There's a, I mean, there's a moment where that I, I don't want to spoil an emotional part of that has to do with her mom that I think is more sad tears, but totally. And, and going back to one of my first points, the, the, just the fact that they were able to have a camera in the room in some Mm -hmm. of these very uh, monumental moments in a person's life. Yeah. Um, it's just crazy that they were able to just be the fly on the wall and, and it, it even had the fact that this happened Yeah, <laughs> and, and that it exists like this. It's just like, I, I remember thinking throughout the whole thing, just like, how did they, how do they get this? Yeah. That's pretty in a na- In this natural way. Right. And you're absolutely right about several of those emotional moments. It's, uh, the close calls throughout. Yeah. So it's crazy too. We just on the technical side, like the use, or I guess it wouldn't even be technically the use of sound. It's just like the natural sound of the landscape and and how that how sound plays a big part kind of throughout the film. I think is uh, is really cool too. And um, similarly, how we talked about with Uncut Gems, how uh, the soundtrack plus kind of all the noises of the customers and the people um, in the jewelry shops kind of being overbearing. You get that same sort of sense in a more natural way in Honeyland. I think it's a, um, it's just really effective and makes for good filmmaking and, and film and experiencing this as a viewer. For sure. Uh, this, all the bees (laughs) were very loud. (laughs) Do you agree? Yes. (laughs) Wholeheartedly. Even just watching the trailer, like not, you don't get a ton of voices, but you just hear all the natural sounds that play like a big part in the river and all these natural Natural sounds. This title is streaming on Hulu. Hulu. Check it out if you are interested in people, places, or things. Really, any nouns. If you're into nouns, give this a watch. It's got them. Got some verbs in there too. There's some action. Ooh. Not like Fast and the Furious. No action, but like like a bunch of livestock and chaotic kids. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we can get homage on on the podcast. Because funny connection here is I was in Macedonia with him. You know, we were there together. Yeah. Plus he spent a lot more time there after in later years. And maybe has some insight on, on Macedonia. We can pull out of him. Extract, much like pulling honey from a beehive. Mm, honeycomb. It's crazy how they just chomp on those things. Right? <laughs> it's like, what are they doing? <laughs> Gotta be so sweet. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I would love to get youtube.com slash homage beats in here to discuss all sorts of things. Yeah, that'd be tight. Also worth mentioning, you can donate to these people in the film and receive some honey for yourself. Really? Yeah. I think that's like a $30 donation, certain amount donation, and they'll send you, um, like if you reach that amount or whatever, they'll send you a jar of honey. That is awesome. Right? I might do it. Yeah, the... (laughs) The funny part is I, it, the way it phrases it is like you're supporting the community, which is her and the family. And it's like, 
yes, but I, I would like to give all of this to her. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure she would give some to the family, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd say that concludes our honey day, honey talk. Honey hang. <laughs> I feel not clever today. How do you feel? Um, <laughs> I was trying to say something clever, but it never came. So same. Thank you for listening to Happy Tears. My name's Nick. And I'm Brandon. And we are the producers, writers, creators of this podcast. You can find more information at happytearspod.com. You can find us on all the social media, uh, either at Happy Tears Podcast or at Happy Tears Pod. Please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so we can grow our audience and... Be happy boys. Be happy boys with happy tears we want to hear about your happy tears you can do that by sending us sliding in those dms on instagram any other way you could write us at (laughs) you could also email us at happytearspod at gmail.com yeah anytime that you see a movie or hear a song that moves you we want to hear about it uh we want we want the, the world is just better when empathy is used And that's what it takes to have happy tears, people. That is what it takes. That's all this is. This is an an exercise in empathy, much like Shia LaBeouf's Honey Boy script and movie. Just as good. (laughs) (laughs) You sounded like the Joker there, dude. Did I? You did. You made me cackle. That's how funny you were. (laughs) Original theme music by Homage. You could check out his music at youtube.com slash Homage Beats or on Instagram at Homage Beats. We also have a little playlist by the name of Happy Tears Mixtape on Spotify. Go give that a follow. We toss some of the music that we talk about on the podcast uh, that we recommend or that we cover. We throw it on there and it's a nice little experience for everyone. It's chock full of bangers. That's it today, folks. Farewell!